This is Africa Digest. It is 1700 hours Central African time on Africa Digest on Channel Africa, where we give you news from an African perspective. Hello, welcome to the program. My name is Spumela Lezondi, coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. You can find us on 7260 kHz on the 31-meter band if you are in Southern Africa. We are on channelafrica.co.za if you want to stream us, or you can find us on Channel Africa 1 on Twitter. I'm with Amanda Machaka, Tracy Bumgart, and Nedo Chimane. Yes, of stories. Ramaphosa says the ANC is the only organization committed to improving the lives of the people. Former Mozambican minister appears in court. Security forces have deployed have been deployed in Gabon's capital, Libreville. In economic news, Tanzania has appointed a new mining minister. And in sports, Egypt has been awarded the right to stage the 2019 Africa Cup of Nations. Amanda Machaka has your news. Thank you, Spumalele. Good evening. South Africa's ruling ANC has spent a large part of its 107th anniversary celebrations championing the progress the party has made since 1994. Party President Cyril Ramaphosa has lamented the high levels of abuse that women are subjected to. He was addressing a rally at Inanda, north of Durban. The party is expected to present its election manifesto this weekend. Ramaphosa has described the high levels of abuse against women as a national crisis. But we must hang our heads in shame that even as we make progress in forging a non-sexist society, women in our country continue to be confronted with unprecedented levels of abuse, of violence and murder, often by those who are closest to them. This is a national crisis. At least eight civilians, including relatives of soldiers, have been killed in an overnight incursion by armed men in the volatile Beni region in eastern DRC. The Beni region has been the target of attacks since October 2014 by the Ugandan Allied Democratic Forces, a shadowy Islamist-rooted group that arose in western Uganda in 1995 under the leadership of Jamil Mukulu, a Christian-turned-Muslim. Forced out of Uganda, it operates in the border area in the DRC's North Kivu province, an area where other armed groups are also active. It has been blamed for recruiting and using child soldiers, killing hundreds of civilians since 2014, as well as 15 Tanzanian peacekeepers who died in an attack in December 2017. An Uber driver accused of killing six people at random in a shooting spree in the U.S. state of Michigan in 2016 has pleaded guilty to murder, attempted murder, and firearms offenses. Four people were killed at a restaurant and two at a car dealership in the shootings in the city of Kalamazoo. 48-year-old Jason Dalton had initially blamed the app for controlling his mind and body, but he changed his plea shortly before his trial was due to begin. Dalton 
Hamilton charges consist of six counts of murder, two counts of attempted murder and eight charges relating to firearms offences. He now faces a life sentence without parole. A court in Sierra Leone has granted bail to 14 opposition supporters after they took part in New Year's Eve protests over the arrest of a former minister for alleged corruption. Alfred Paolo Conte, a former defense minister, was detained on December 28 by investigators in charge of a sprawling graft probe but was released on bail last week after Conte's arrest police fired tear gas and rubber bullets at protesters in the capital Freetown last week and dozens were detained, including a former deputy health minister. The 14 billed supporters of the opposition All People's Congress Party face charges including disorderly behavior, riotous conduct, throwing missiles and threatening language according to the court. And finally, Mozambique's former finance minister, Manuel Chang, has made a brief court appearance in Johannesburg, South Africa. He was arrested at the city's airport over alleged secret loans to Mozambican state companies owing $2 billion, Chang said in the dock, as his lawyers argued that his detention on a U.S. extradition request was illegal. Since his arrest on December the 29th, Three former employees of Credit Suisse Bank have also been arrested in London. U.S. authorities accused Shang, who was finance minister between 2005 and 2015, of conspiracy to commit wire fraud, securities fraud and money laundering. For Channel Africa News, I'm Amanda Machaga. Africa Digest. You're listening to Africa Digest. It is 1706 Central African Time on Africa Digest. Now, the president of South Africa's ruling African National Congress, Cyril Ramaphosa, says the party's 107th anniversary is a moment to look at the contribution of former ANC leaders to the advancement of the party's collective vision. Ramaphosa was addressing a rally in celebration of the ANC's 107th anniversary in Inanda, north of Durban. Other senior ANC leaders like Balega and former president Jacob Zuma were also present. Ramaphosa says they have improved the lives of many locals through the Tumamina campaign. We are making progress in restoring the integrity and the credibility of the African National Congress. And we are doing much to bring the ANC closer to our people. Through the Tumamina campaign, we have more intensively reached out to communities, demonstrating the ANC's commitment to improving people's lives. Our public representatives, branch members, have worked hard to ensure greater consultation 
and engagement with our people. Across society, many of our people in South Africa are embracing the new dawn, which in its content and purpose reflects a popular vision of renewal and far-reaching change. In line with this task, we have worked with our social partners behind the program to make sure that we bring more growth to our economy through increased investment, through creating more jobs, through reducing poverty. And we have taken bold steps to confront corruption and to restore the credibility of our public institutions. Now, through all these wealth, contributions of millions of South Africans have established a firm foundation for growth and renewal across society. It is therefore critical that we should strengthen this resolve and deepen our unity in pursuit of a better life. South Africans will head to the polls later this year to elect the representatives for national and provincial government. The ANC comrades will be going to Lama elections to achieve a decisive mandate for societal renewal. Not only to go and get a mere percentage, about 50, we want an overwhelming victory. Cyril Ramaphosa is the president of South Africa's ruling African National Congress. Now, South Africa's ruling ANC turns 107 this year making it one of Africa's oldest liberation movements. However, the ANC owes its liberation victory to other liberation movements like Tanzania's Chamacha Mabinduzi or CCM. Sarah Kimani returned there to see how life was for the exiles and what became of their facilities after the exiles left Tanzania in 1992. For settlement, development, agriculture, and there were other things, uh, somebody's that is your home. Now, due to the... Tucked away in what was a pass as a middle of nowhere in Tanzania lie the stories and the remains of some of South Africa's freedom fighters. Welcome to Mazimbu, west of Tanzania's capital, Dar es Salaam. You are at the University of Sokoine's Solomon Matlangu campus. It is here that we meet Ali Mkopi. Ali was here as a small boy when the first batch of ANC freedom fighters arrived here seeking political asylum. They were on the run from the apartheid regime. The then Tanzania's president Julius Nyerere offered them land. But, the ANC came here in 1978, 1979 and in 1980. At the time, the place was a sisal plantation and it was only known as Mazimbu, says Ali. Here the freedom fighters started life anew. At least five districts in Tanzania became their home. 
21 countries contributed to ensuring their stay here in Tanzania was comfortable and meaningful. Mazimbu also served as a political strategy center of sorts for the freedom fighters. Some of the top ANC officials then and now, as well as men and women who went on to lead South Africa after independence, spent the better part of their lives and that of the liberation struggle here in Mazimbu. Aliishi hapa na alifanya kazi katika jengo moja liko estate kwa maintenance the current South African Deputy President Cyril Ramaphosa, President Jacob Zuma are among those who lived here. Both have been back since they left in 1992. Oliver Tambo was their leader. In fact, he's the one who lived here longer. Solomon Matlangu was executed in 1979, a year after the first ANC liberators landed here in Tanzania in a place called Mazimbu. In his honor, the institution was renamed. To date, it is known as the Solomon Matlangu Campus. The Solomon Matlangu Freedom College, Somafco, was set up for the growing number of ANC exiles coming just after the 1976 Soweto uprising. Its aim was to offer better quality education, different from what Africans received under the apartheid regime. Over time, Somafco became too small to accommodate the growing number and needs of the exiles, and so Tanzania offered them more land, 7,500 acres in Dakawa. Dakawa Development Center, 55 kilometers from Mazimbu, was a transition center for the exiles as they awaited to join Somafco for formal education. Dakawa also served as an orientation and rehabilitation center for exiles returning from Mozambique and Swaziland. Adili Kabuja is a principal of the Dakawa Development Center. They were schooling, they were doing um, training, vocational training, they were, well, I said, cultivation, catering and others, everything, every uh, developmental activity which a person uh, do when this, he is at his home. They sound like people who had lost hope of ever going back home. Yes. I, this, is, this, this is what we, we believe, that the, they didn't have a hope that there is a time they will go home. That is why they were doing everything that this is our permanent place. As a development center, it offered more than formal education. It centered on those in need of vocational training, including carpentry, metalwork, and leatherwork. <laughs> Dakawa was seen as a difficult place, prone to flooding and malaria. Most of them were living in the bush there, in, in tents. These quarters were just for those who were officials, but others, the normal people, were living in tents. So, so even if we go to the bush there, hmm. you see the foundations where the, the tents were, were laid. To date, the remains of some of those who died during their time in Tanzania lay in the cemeteries at the various places in the country. In 1990, ANC stalwart Nelson Mandela was set free. The mood and the dreams of the camps changed. Ali remembers celebrations that lasted for two days here in Mazimbu. Then Mandela came to Tanzania. Mandela came to Tanzania. Mandela came here and even spent a night in the camp. He told the exiles that South Africa would soon be free and they too will be back home.
1992, two years before South Africa's independence, the final call was made. It was time to close the ANC camps and go back home. Oliver Tambo, the then ANC president, had the task of handing each of the five centers back to the Tanzanian government. Kabuje again. After leaving, it is the, all the infrastructure which, which was left. For instance, well, um, they had a school uh, orientation center, as I, uh, I have shown you, which was training their people. Today we are using it as a, a high school, a very good high school, as you saw it. They had um, a, a vocational training uh, center, as I showed you, the workshop or whatever. We are using it as a vocational training also. In Tanzania we call it better. Somafco existed for only 15 years, 15 years that may have defined the future of a free South Africa's education system. Sarah Kimani, SABC News in Morogoro, Tanzania. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. Kultranjoy for Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. Reporting for Channel Africa, I'm Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. Our cutting-edge and hard-hitting journalism leaves no stone unturned, giving you the whole picture every time. George Muhango, Channel Africa, Blantyre. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzeka. In Yaoundi. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. in Lesotho. Join us every day and know what is happening around you. Channel Africa. It is 1717 Central African Time, right here on Africa Digest. A South African court has postponed a hearing into U.S. requests to extradite former Mozambican Finance Minister Manuel Chang. The matter was postponed until Wednesday to allow prosecutors to prepare their submissions. Manuel Chang is allegedly involved in financial crimes totaling 28 billion rand. Chang's legal representative spoke to our reporter from the Portuguese desk, Milton Malulek, and other journalists who attended the hearing. But you can, can you summarize what happened basically and then because we couldn't hear everything. Yeah, um, I brought an application to declare the uh, further detention of Mr. Chang illegal on the basis of an illegal warrant. And uh, the prosecutor said she needed time to consider my arguments and to respond. Uh, and for that reason, the matter was postponed. Why but was the warrant illegal? Um, uh, for various legal reasons that I really can't go into now. But so is it related to the fact that no extradition request had been sent? Yes, yes. Okay, and there hasn't been one? Yes, okay. not, not this year. So just for summary, what had to be on that warrant of rage? You referred to no, 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 no. I'm not going to... But you referred to a treaty there. I just went here and just Yeah, there, there is a treaty in yeah. force which regulates provisional arrest, but the warrant was not issued in terms of the uh, treaty. Okay. So that's exactly what I want okay. to do. Abari, Kedu, Mbote, Ndemne, Bonsoir. Join me, Richard Mwamba, for a music show on Channel Africa called Africa in Song every Saturday and Sunday from 18 to 20 hours Central African time. Africa in Song, Saturday and Sunday from 18 to 20 hours Central African time.
Hello, uh, hi, I'm Salif Keita. You're listening to Channel Africa, the voice of African Renaissance. Seventeen twenty Central African time is still listening to Africa Digest on Channel Africa. You can find us on info at channelafrica.co.za and email that is info at channelafrica.co. If you want to send us your emails. Now, security forces have been deployed in Gabon's capital, Libreville, following an attempted coup in the country and government described the situation as calm. A group of five soldiers sought to take power yesterday while President Ali Bongo still recovers abroad after suffering a stroke. Ali Bongo has been president since succeeding his father, Omar Bongo, who died in 2009, and his re-election in 2016 was marred by claims of fraud and violent protests. The failed coup has led his government, uh, government leaders rather than the Central African nation, shutting down the entire country's internet. For more on the latest and what to expect in the coming days, Channel Africa's Kumbero Manjarare spoke to Dr. U.R. Kumba, president of the Gabonese diaspora in South Africa. The situation is relatively calm in a sense that uh, uh, Gabonese people have always been uh, calm people and quiet people. However, there is a lot of questioning that is done with respect to this whole uh, uh, saga. People are questioning, they are worried because of the fact that uh, you see up to now, the Minister of Communication never communicated anything to his own population. The only thing that the, the government does is to answer the media, the, the, the media outside the country. So that's one, one thing. It, is, it has been said that uh, people were arrested and people were killed, uh, and then they, they changed from information to other information, but nothing has been said to Gabonese people in Gabon, officially. So um, for that, there is a huge amount of um, worry. Up to now, uh, the Internet was not reinstalled because they cut the Internet, and they said that uh, everything was under control, and uh, the Gabonese uh, underground are just asking themselves, "What, what is it really happening? Because no one is talking to them. We've heard that uh, the, the list of uh, names that was uh, calling for the National Restoration Council are the list of people who are going to be arrested, people in Gabon and people in, uh, outside Gabon as well. So we are questioning, but why are they going to be arrested? Now, it was a daring move, uh, Dr. Koumba, by the soldiers uh, involved uh, to try and overthrow the government. Uh, do you think their attempts were thwarted because of a poor planning on their part, or was government quick enough to nip their actions in the bud? <laughs> you see, this is where people think that uh, it's either it is a... Uh, a joke and it is a ridiculous joke because you see it is even someone who's not a soldier will not attempt to do a coup d'etat uh, when you know that there is 80 soldier american soldier u.s soldier who are deployed in gabon with respect to the election that is happening in drc sure. and the fact that there is also 
a huge amount of French soldiers who are always there in Gabon to um, um, actually service the security of the country. So uh, I think, uh, according to what was uh, uh, said by um, a, a huge amount of people, it is just a saga. It is it is a performance that we that was done again maybe by the government to try strategically to maybe arrest different leaders who are who are who are calling for a more democratic manner. Sure. And as I, as I told you, there are people who have been um, heard that they're going to be arrested because their name was uh, cited during the announcement of this, the leader of those, the, this putsch. So um, we truly believe that uh, it, it is a joke. It is uh, an instrumentalization done by the government because up to now, we don't know the face. We don't see the face of those people who, are, who have been arrested. We don't see the, the, the dead people who were killed. Uh, usually in Gabon, when there is a glory like that, I'm telling you, they will not hesitate to show their success on TV, to show that they are doing the uh, good work. The thwarted coup might have failed, but it does indicate broad uh, socio-economic and political frustration with Gabon's leadership, which has been weakened, some would say, by Bongo's ill health, isn't it? But what needs to happen now, uh, Dr. Kaumba? Look, what needs to happen now is just to follow the constitution instead of manipulating the constitution what we need to do is to make sure that uh, the people who are in charge of institutions should do their job instead of being scared that uh, a new change a new change of regime is about to come simply because you see when you have a president who receives two strokes is no more able to run the country the president is sick it's not uh, it's not malaria that he has he has a serious sickness that will not allow him to to take over the 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 the, 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 uh, the the power and uh, be in charge of this country. So the worries that they have is the fact that they don't want to create a new leadership. So so far they just need to follow what is instructed by the constitution instead of changing every time the constitution to suit themselves. Because up to now the the lady, the president of um, the constitution, has already changed the constitution to suit the power of the prime minister and the deputy president. So it's creating a huge amount of frustration and uh, it's indicating again that um, there is a, a, a change of regime that is about to come uh, because of the fact that uh, Ali Bongo will not be able to run the country. And um, this is what this is creating. And this is due to the fact that we have really and we've been forever led by people who are not there for Gabonese. They are there for their own interests. That is Dr. U.R. Kumba, president of the Gabonese diaspora in South Africa, talking to Kumbero Munjarere. The National Council of Provinces in South Africa is expected to debate and possibly pass the Electoral Laws Amendment Bill soon. The amendment bill follows a ruling by the Constitutional Court in the Tlokwe matter in the Northwest. Zaylin Merrington looks at how the debate on the proposed amendments to the Electoral Laws unfolded in the National Assembly. In less than five months, the country is expected to head to the polls, and with it, possibly a new set of election rules. Home Affairs Minister Siabonga Kwele says the amendments make provision for voters whose addresses are not on the voters' roll to also vote. On election day, 
Such a voter may present herself at a voting station. She will be given a form on which to record her address before being issued with both national and provincial ballots. For those persons whom it is impossible to provide an address, such a person may be issued with only a national ballot. The chairperson of the committee, Lomani Chauke, says just more than 80% of voters are registered with their addresses. Immediately after the constitutional court ruling, the IC embarked on the process of voter registration, not only the issue of voter registration, but to deal then with the issue of making sure that uh, all voters are captured in the voters' role with addresses. IFP MP Sibongile Nkomo and Ntlantla Kubisa from the NFP say the amendments assist in ensuring the credibility of elections. would like to caution against a lot of rigging which has happened previously, and that is the rigging of votes where you find that people are even bused to areas, where you find that party agents are even refused permission in voting stations to lodge their complaints. We are appealing that all is taken care of. The IFP supports these amendments. The aim was to ensure credibility and to circumvent any busing of people from other territories to vote somewhere. And this was marring the credibility of the election. The bill prohibits the use of public funds for electioneering. DAMP Hanif Hussain and EFF MP Veronica Mente had mixed feelings about this. We would like to thank the INC for finally including these provisions in prohibiting the use of public funds for election campaigns. This is a step in the right direction. However, if this, these provisions will not be worth the paper it's written on, if the IEC fails to implement this provision and act against the corrupt ANC when these funds are used for campaign purposes. I thank you. We are very concerned and object to Clause 17, which amends Section 87 of the Electoral Act and prohibits the use of public funds, except those allocated in terms of the public funding represented by the political parties' acts. If the NCOP adopts the amendments, it will be sent to the President to sign into law. ACDP MP Steve Swartz says they are looking forward to another piece of legislation also on the President's desk. We would also look forward before the next year's elections to the part, political party funding bill being signed into law. It is passed already by this House and it is sitting on the President's desk and it is crucial that this bill is signed into law. This will make party funding transparent and will show which individuals and which companies support political parties. That was the Democratic Christian Party's MP, Steve Swart, ending that report by Zeline Merrington in Parliament. It is now time for news headlines. Here's Amanda Machaka. Thank you, Spamelele. Good evening. Madagascar's Constitutional Court has confirmed Andre Rajulina as the winner of the country's presidential election. This after his opponent had lodged a complaint alleging that the result was riddled with fraud. 
South Africa's ruling ANC has spent a large part of its 107th anniversary celebrations championing the progress the party has made since 1994. Party President Cyril Ramaphosa has lamented the high levels of abuse that women are subjected to. And a court in Sierra Leone has granted bail to 14 opposition supporters after they took part in New Year's Eve protests over the arrest of a former minister for alleged corruption. Those are news headlines. Africa Digest. You're listening to Africa Digest. It is 17.33 Central African time. You're still listening to Africa Digest on Channel Africa as we continue to give you news from an African perspective. Now, the government of Somalia has expelled United Nations Special Envoy Nicholas Hayson after declaring him an unwanted person. The expulsion of Hayson, a South African, has angered members of the United Nations Security Council, which says the UN will replace Hayson in the days to come. James Shimanula reports. The United Nations says in a statement released in New York that the unilateral decision by Somali authorities in the capital Mogadishu to expel Nicholas Hayson, its special envoy in the Horn of Africa nation, is regrettable and uncalled for. Somali authorities say they expelled Hayson for, as they put it, meddling in the internal affairs of the country when he questioned the arrest of Mokhtar Rabo, a former member of Al-Shabaab militants that are fighting President Mohamed Abdullahi, Mohamed Famayo's government. Rabo, also known as Ali Abu Mansu, surrendered himself to the government on the 13th of August in 2017. Shortly after surrendering, he vowed never to engage in armed activities of fighting the Mogadishu government with the express purpose of removing it from power. Before his arrest, Robo had announced that he would contest next year's presidential election in Somalia to challenge President Famayo. Reacting to the expulsion of Hayson from Somalia, Farhan Haq, deputy spokesman for the United Nations Secretary-General, said the Secretary-General himself, Antonio Guterres, has expressed regret at the decision by the federal government of Somalia to declare his special representative Nicholas Hayson persona non grata. Farhan Haq pointed out that the Secretary General has full confidence in Mr. Hayson, an experienced and respected international civil servant who has distinguished himself in numerous senior leadership roles in the field and at UN headquarters in New York. Hacker disclosed that the United Nations chief had a telephone conversation with Somali President Farmajo. Secretary General has spoken uh, twice with President Farmajo of Somalia. We hold firm to our position that the doctrine of persona non grata does not apply, but at the same time, it's crucial that the UN mission on the ground is able to go about its work. Farhan Haq 
Deputy Spokesman for the UN Secretary General, emphasized that the Secretary General remained strongly committed to assisting Somalia in its efforts to achieve peace, stability, and prosperity for all. It may be recalled that Nicholas Hayson was appointed Special Envoy to Somalia on September 12th last year to succeed Michael Keating of the United Kingdom. Hayson served previously as the United Nations Special Envoy for Sudan and South Sudan. Hayson, a citizen of South Africa, is a lawyer with a long international career revolving around democratic governance, constitutional and electoral reforms, reconciliation and the peace process. From 2014 to 2016, Hayson served as the Special Representative of the Secretary General for Afghanistan, Hayson was also Director of Political Peacekeeping and Humanitarian Affairs in the Executive Office of the United Nations Secretary General from 2007 to 2012. He was also Head of the Office of the Constitutional Support for the United Nations Assistance Mission in Iraq from 2005 to 2007. From 2002 to 2005, Hayson was the principal advisor to the mediator in the Sudanese peace process. He was involved in the Burundi peace talks as chairman of the committee negotiating constitutional issues from 1999 to 2002 under the facilitation of the late former president Nelson Mandela. He served in the government of South Africa as chief legal and constitutional advisor in the office of the president from 1994 to 1999. In conclusion, it may be imperative to bring to light remarks that Nicholas Hayson made shortly after leaving Somalia for New York. Politics is complex in any nation, but in one that is still establishing its norms, institutional parameters, and still debating the responsibilities of its respective governance structures, there is a risk that complexity shifts to conflict. That was Nicholas Hayson, United Nations Special Representative to Somalia. Hayson has been expelled from Somalia. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is James Shimanyula. A South African woman accused of killing her children in a clarinet in the country's Mpumalanga province will make a formal bail application next Monday. 24-year-old Zintle Maditla has appeared at the Whitbank Magistrate Court for allegedly killing her four children aged between 11 months and 8 years. A day after Christmas, Eric Lubisi reports. A visibly emotionally trained Zintle Maditla wearing a white shirt and blue jeans made a brief appearance in court. Walking into the packed courtroom, she looked drained and exhausted. She sat down on the bench and covered her face with her hands while journalists took pictures of her. The magistrate quickly informed her of her right to be represented by a state lawyer or a private one. She opted to be represented by a state lawyer. According to the police, just after Christmas, Maditla allegedly called her family members and told them to check her rented house where the dead bodies of the children were found wrapped in blankets. She then handed herself over to the police. During her first court appearance last week, Maditla was not present in court as she had been hospitalized. She was released 
last Friday. Police spokesperson Leonard Clarty says the postponement has given them more time to finalize their investigations. He says by the next court appearance, the police will be ready. There are some inequalities that we need to work on regarding the, this case. So this is actually a time that we have received from the court for us to be able to go further with some other chores uh, relating to this case. Clarty says the cause of the children's death is still to be determined. The children will be laid to rest on Tuesday. I'm Eric Lubisi in Emalachlin Magistrate Court. Recently, the South African Department of Women, which aims to accelerate socio-economic transformation for women empowerment and the advancement of gender equality, has officially launched children's and men's robots, which aims to bring generational change and ensure a gender-based, violence-free society. The children's robots aim to condition South Africa's next generation on how to be a good friend and educate them about the negative impacts of aggressive activities. Spokesperson at the South African Department of Women, Shaleen Gajadar, tells us more. The robot basically is a mechanism by which women are able to evaluate their own relationships or that of their close friends or family to assess whether they are in a healthy relationship, in a relationship that puts them at risk, or in a relationship that actually poses a danger to them. What we found in our community dialogue is that there wasn't a tool or mechanism or a conversation starting around when we'd meet women and discuss the relative health of their relationship. So the robot itself is just a mechanism using the colors green, orange, and red by which women and then men and children are quickly able to assess what type of relationship they're actually in. Now, may you give us an idea of how bad the rates of children and women being abused in South Africa or even Africa? Well, Africa, unfortunately, sexual violence and violence against women and children is at an all-time high. So with the exception of a few countries across Africa, we certainly have many countries in Africa reporting both gender-based violence as well as violence on women and children. And South Africa, unfortunately, has the title of having the highest rate gender-based violence in the world. Steph essay reports that between the years 2000 and 2015, the World Health Organization stated that crime against women in South Africa alone was five times more than the international average. Wow, that's really bad. Now, do you think the amount of women and children being abused has increased over the past years, or are there more women brave enough to stand up for themselves? Well, it's a very complex question. You know, with campaigns like the Robot campaign, we get more and more women to step forward and report abuse, but we also have a lot more women starting to understand what abuse is. You know, we have women realizing that that what they thought might be acceptable behavior is actually an abuse. So we have these types of women coming forward to seek help, to seek support, but they might not necessarily be reporting that to the police service. They might just be seeking help through social workers, through psychologists, etc. in their community. Between the years of 2000 and 2015, as I mentioned, it was five times more than the international average. More recent reports that these levels are in decline. But, you know, the bottom line is that gender-based violence in South Africa is at unacceptably high levels. There's a silent war on women. I think it's a combination of both more cases of femicide occurring and, on the other side, more women being educated about what constitutes gender-based violence and then stepping up and reporting this. Now, this robot concept is really new. It's the first time I hear of it. And why do you see the need of using a robot concept instead of using human-to-human interaction of educating people of different behavioral changes in relationships? The idea of a robot, quite 
simply is to broach social and cultural barriers that exist. You know, we use this mechanism in conjunction with dialogues that the department hosts with women across South Africa. So we travel to communities, we travel to wards and districts, we meet with groups of women to discuss what is gender-based violence. But we find that when we walk into a room and you have a group of 200 women seated about to engage on this issue, it's very difficult to get that woman to stand up to say, I think I am in an abusive relationship. Because you have a lot of strangers, you have a lot of people in the room and they might not be willing to talk to us as a department. The robot is just simply a mechanism through which we say to people, introspect, look at your own relationships, look at a relationship with somebody you know. Is your partner telling you that he or she loves you? Is your partner treating you well? Does your partner respect you? Does your partner respect your decision? If you start to answer yes to those questions, then we will start to realize they're in a healthy relationship. But we're more concerned about those people in risky or in dangerous relationships. So does your partner control who you can see and when you can see them? Does your partner control the way you dress? Does your partner take control of your finances, etc.? So it's simply just a talking point or mechanism by which we are able to have that person-to-person connection. So in response that we've developed a men's robot, which then speaks to men and to young boys to say, are you the type of partner that tells your partner you love them? You know, do you respect your partner's decision? Do you spend time with your partner? Do you consider their emotional well-being? After these men and women have gained knowledge of the robot, what are the post programs that the Department of Women were instead to assure that they have been rehabilitated? So the Department of Women itself has a very specific mandate from the presidency, you know, to set up programs which other departments can then carry forward in their program. So we lobby other departments like South African Police Service, like the Department of Health, like the Department of Justice and Constitutional Development, like the Department of Social Development, to then hold programs like Men's Dialogues to host Men Empowerment Programs. And for our last question, for those who live in rural areas where they don't have access to cell phones or don't have access to come to certain departments for help, how can they get their hands or get a hold of this robot or get knowledge about this robot? The idea is to to get into communities, is to take this information to poor communities, but not just the department alone, you know, like I said, through our partner departments as well as through NGOs. That is Shailen Gajadar, who is the spokesperson of the South African Department of Women on the line with Nombuiselo Dango. It is 17.45 Central African time. Here's Tracy Pumgaard with your economic news. Thank you. The Tanzanian government believes the new mining minister brings a wealth of experience to the sector. Dr. Bateko previously led a parliamentary investigation that concluded there was widespread tax evasion and smuggling in the gemstone business. Bateko is the third mining minister appointed by President John Magufuli since he was elected in 2015. Tanzania's Chamber of Minerals and Energy Executive Secretary, Gerald Mturi, says Bateko knows the mining sector well, so the continuity of policy is expected. Government and gold producer Acacia have been in a prolonged spat over a $190 billion tax bill. Kenya's Nairobi Securities Exchange says it stopped trading of shares due to an unspecified technical hitch. It says it expects to have the issue resolved in time for Wednesday's session. The boss is an important gateway for foreign investors looking for exposure to fast-growing economies in the East African region. 
Members of Grain South Africa have called on the country's government to provide clarity on how land expropriation without compensation process will unfold. They say the uncertainty has an impact on their financial future and food production. Farmers say the issue has compounded their problems because they have been battling drought and other economic challenges, as Grain SA manager Jan George Pretorius explains. With all the uncertainty and whatever that, that there is surrounding that, I need to pay my bills and I need to pay my people on the farm and that means that I need to plant. So it leaves us with a sword hanging over our heads and together with all the other stuff and there's uncertainty. I wish the government can, can give us clarity on that so that we at least know on that we, we, in, in what direction we're heading. The United States and China have extended trade talks late into the second day in Beijing. The world's two largest economies are looking to resolve a bitter trade dispute. The meetings are the first face-to-face talks since U.S. President Donald Trump and Chinese President Xi Jinping agreed in December to a 90-day truce in a trade war. Trump imposed import tariffs on hundreds of billions of dollars of Chinese goods last year and threatened more to pressure Beijing to change its practices on issues ranging from industrial subsidies to intellectual property and hacking. China retaliated with tariffs of its own. Few details have emerged from this latest meeting. Online retail giant Amazon has overtaken Microsoft and other tech heavyweights to become the world's most valuable publicly traded company for the first time. The online giant was worth $797 billion when the U.S. stock market closed on Monday after rising 3.4% and moved past Microsoft. Amazon founder Jeff Bezos is the world's wealthiest man with riches of $135 billion. That's according to Bloomberg's Billionaire Index. The share prices of U.S. tech giants have been on a roller coaster in recent months on worries about sales and trade tensions. Taking a look at the financial indicators, the U.S. dollars trading at 10.38 Botswana Pula, 11.90 Zambian Kwacha and at 13.92 South African Rands. In BRICS currencies, one U.S. dollar will cost you 3.71 Brazilian Hale, 70.09 Indian Rupee, 6.85 Chinese Yuan and at 67.14 Russian Ruble. One U.S. dollars trading at 0.87 to the euro and at 0.78 British pound. In commodities, gold is trading at $1,283 and platinum at $822 per ounce. The price of Brent crude oil is at $58.27 a barrel. For Channel African News, I'm Tracy Bumgard. Thank you, Tracy. It is now time for your sports news. Here is Neto Chemane. Thank you, Spumelele, from the sports desk. A very good evening. Starting off with football news. 
Egypt have been awarded the right to stage the expanded 2014-2019 Africa Cup of Nations after beating South Africa in a straight shootout between the only two bidders to replace original hosts Cameroon. The announcement was made by CAF President Ahmad Ahmad this afternoon in Dakar, Senegal. Egypt have hosted four previous occasions, once well known as the United Arab Republic, with the last in 2006 when they lifted the title. This year's tournament will from June the 15th to July the 13th. As ABC Sport journalist Veli Lemnyandu says it is not surprising the Faros will host the African football spectacle. Well, I don't think it's really surprising, especially if you've been following the stories and the events around this bidding, and especially after uh, Morocco had uh, pulled out um, of the race just a few days before the, the, the deadline uh, for the submission. Uh, you will recall that uh, Egypt was not in the picture. So they had said that they will not go against another Arab country or North African country. And as soon as there was an indication from Morocco, then um, suddenly Egypt, um, they expressed their interest and um, beat it two days before the deadline. South Africa missed out on the chance to host just their third Africa Cup of Nations AFCON tournament on Tuesday when Confederation of African Football CAF President Ahmad Ahmad announced that Egypt would play host to the 2019 edition and truth be told the voting in the two-country race for the right to do so wasn't even close. Egypt and South Africa emerged as the only two candidates to replace original hosts Cameroon who dropped out of the running due to delays in preparation and sense over security. The South African Football Association, SAFA, and their president, Denny Jordan, were widely reported to be confident of being the preferred replacement. On to golf news. Patrick Harrington has been unveiled as Europe's Ryder Cup captain, taking over Thomas Bjorn for next year's match in Whistling Straits. At a press conference at Wentworth outside London, on Tuesday, the three-time major winner was officially named as the third Irish captain in the last four matches. The Irishman, a vice-captain, when Europe won the trophy back under the leadership of Thomas Bjorn in France in September, played in six successive Ryder Cups from 1999 and was on the winning team on four occasions. He, of course, is thrilled with, the, with leading the Euro team. Well, obviously, I'm, I'm thrilled to be named as the Ryder Cup captain for 2020. It's not something I went into lightly. Uh, you know, I suppose you could look at this as being a natural progression. You move on from player to vice-captain to captain, but it's not something that I take on without a certain amount of trepidation. I uh, I really want to be a help. It's, 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 I want to hopefully lead the Ryder Cup and the European Tour in a better place after two years. But I know we want continuity in Europe. We want to keep moving along. And, and ideally, we play the Ryder Cup match tomorrow with the same 12 guys. But, you know, I, I know we're going to a, a new venue. It's an away match. Uh, we're going to have, on average, you know, three more rookies coming into the team. I have to be a part of that team and ensure that I find an edge to make the team perform to the best of their abilities, get the most out of them. And finally, in cricket news, 
The 2019 edition of the IPL will be hosted in India, not South Africa. It was confirmed this afternoon. There had been reports that the money spinning T20 tournament would be staged in South Africa this year because of India's general elections, which are due to take place over April and May. But according to Chrisinfo, the BCCI have decided that the tournament will be hosted entirely in India. It will get underway on March the 23rd. South Africa had previously hosted the IPL in 2009. Chris quotes the BCCI as saying in a press release that the decision was based on the preliminary discussions with the appropriate central and state agencies and authorities. The tournament schedule and fixtures, the BCCI added, would be announced after consultation with the appropriate authorities. Thank you for choosing Channel Africa. For Channel Africa Sport, I'm Neto and ETO Chemani. This is Africa Digest. Thank you very much for staying with Africa Digest. Let's recap our top stories. Ramaphosa says the ANC is the only organization committed to improving the lives of the people. Former Mozambican minister appears in court and security forces have been deployed in Gabon's capital, Libreville. With that, we wrap up Africa Digest for this hour. For myself, as Pumelele Zondi, producer Ronald Piri, technical producer Sishen Jovu, and the rest of the Africa Digest team, thank you for listening. Send your emails to info at channelafrica.co.za on WhatsApp. We are on plus 27763 Tweet us on Channel Africa 1. We leave you with Izulu by Mbumi.